Welcome to WCG Talks Trials, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of clinical research, sharing the latest trends, insights, and best practices from experts across the industry. In each episode of WCG Talks Trials, we'll explore a different area of the clinical trial industry while featuring a diverse range of clinical research and medical professionals. If you're passionate about advancing clinical research, improving patient outcomes, and driving healthcare forward, then WCG Talks Trials is the right podcast for you. We are so glad you could join us today. Hi, everyone. I'm Desiree Underwood-Williams, Director, Project Management Office at WCG. And I'm thrilled to be your host for today's episode, where we will recap the 2023 WCG Patient Forum and its key takeaways. Before we dive in, let me remind you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on your favorite listening platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify so you never miss an episode of WCG Talks Trials. We are joined today by my colleague, Steve Smith, President of Patient Advocacy at WCG. Welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get started, can you tell us about how and why you got involved in patient advocacy in the clinical research industry? Yes, and thank you for having me, Desiree. It's really a pleasure to be interviewed by you, who does so much to support all of these things that we're about to talk about. I got involved in patient advocacy some decades ago when my son, who was three years old at the time, was diagnosed with a rare disease for which there was no FDA-approved treatment. And that got me paying attention to things I'd never thought about before, as happens to many people when disease enters their lives. I learned over the next decade a lot about who all the players were, the drug developers, the regulators, members of Congress, other patient advocates and advocacy groups and how they all work. And that was really my beginning, my first 10 years. Awesome. So now let's dive into our topic for today's episode. The 2023 WCG Patient Forum happened on October 25th. In its fifth year, the event highlighted collaboration between all clinical trial stakeholders and the modernization of healthcare and drug development. We're excited to ask Steve some follow-up questions to summarize the event and talk about its key takeaways and trends. So Steve, tell us what the WCG Patient Forum is and the intent and motivation behind it. The WCG Patient Forum is a series of interviews and it's conducted each year and presented in the fall as a multi-hour long broadcast consisting of many short interviews with patients and their advocates. And this came from an in-person conference that happened some years ago. And at COVID time, we switched to virtual and discovered this is a great way to engage an audience that people like something which is produced this way. We try to think of not only what is um, important, but what is interesting and, and will keep people watching. Its purpose is to elevate the voices of patients and their advocates, which includes all the experts in drug development as well as patients and their families, and elevate those voices so that the public can become aware of what the problems are that need to be solved. Where do we need solutions? And most importantly, what are the solutions? What do we all need to do, depending on what our role is in drug development, in healthcare, to make things work better? so that we get more FDA-approved treatments 
and so that people with unmet medical needs can get medicines that they're, they need. That change is what the patient forum is all about. The change to a more modern drug development and the forum is there to show everybody what exactly can be done to make this change happen. That's awesome. So I was fortunate enough to see the patient forum evolve over the years. What are some of the themes of the patient forum for this year? And are the themes different each year? That is a great question. There is definitely continuity year in and year out from the years before. So the very first patient forum that we did in a hotel before COVID was a conference type day. And we listened. In fact, the theme was, it's time to listen to the voices of patients in drug development. And in the room, we had patients and their advocates, which included people who work in hospitals at clinical trial sites and people who work in pharmaceutical companies. And everybody agreed that the patient voice is important and can actually play a change role. But there was also general agreement that the organizations running clinical trials don't usually have the budget or the staffing to do these things which we're all saying need to be done. At the same time, they, they're saying in hospitals or pharmaceutical companies, we need to listen to the voice of patients. They didn't have the budgets and the staff to follow through with that. And that was coming directly from those folks that do work in those organizations. So over the years, we've listened. In 2020, when we went virtual like this format we have now, the, the industry really learned and became interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare and in clinical trials because of the events of 2020. We realized we had a public health crisis on our hands and that things could be done. And Desiree, that's when you began speaking. You spoke on a panel that year too. So you saw the interest in industry. We had great attendance that year and great engagement in the chat on the side. And industry pledging huge investments and staffing, like we said the year before, to get things done. So this year, we are now several years down the road from that. We had one or two or three or four sessions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in one of those, we asked people from the pharmaceutical industry, what has changed? Has this really gone somewhere? Was it just a fad? The answer is no to that. It isn't just a fad. But how, how do we know that things have moved forward since 2020? And we show that in this year's patient forum. There are other themes we also don't let go of because it isn't the kind of problem you solve overnight. These are the kinds of problems we're trying to get everybody involved, all the stakeholders, for the long run and to define problems which are fundamental. So in other places where patients need access to medicines, rare diseases, Difficult to diagnose and treat diseases like neurological disorders, Parkinson's, epilepsy, uh, childhood onset diseases. There are so many of those. Also oncology, the, you know, the big diseases. I'm mentioning some of them. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cancers. A lot of those are major diseases too. It's not always rare where people need something different. So we are talking about those things. And if you look at year after year, you see that we're building on the themes of what those stakeholders have told us the years before. So the patient forum is really a place where you can get your master's degree virtually, not literally, we don't give out credits, but virtually on these topics and become so well-versed, you can become a change agent. And you can see history being foretold because if you look back a few years, you see us talking about themes that became major themes in drug development since then, as we predicted. And the reason we predict that in the patient forum is we're talking to people, all the stakeholders across the spectrum, 
who are literally working at the frontier of drug development. They're already pushing over that frontier. So we're not making this up ourselves in the ivory tower. We're bringing in people from all the different stakeholder groups who are very active and activist working at the frontier. Awesome. I love what you said. You can get your master's degree basically in patient advocacy by joining the patient forum. It seems that the topics really run the gamut. They touch on different aspects in clinical trials where, you know, the voice of the patient should be heard or where we're elevating certain topics on rare disease, et cetera. So how do you select the speakers and who are the speakers for this year's patient forum? All of the speakers are people who are either living with disease or their advocates, which includes their family members. They're sometimes called caregivers. And also people in the industry, I'm talking about the drug development industry and other healthcare professionals, often who work at clinical trial sites. Those are all advocates for patients. And we pick them because they are actually doing those things that we want everybody else to start doing. So we pick people who talk about how do you diversify clinical trial enrollment to include more minority community members, that we develop drugs that are appropriate for those different kinds of people, because people are different in the way they respond to drugs. The industry now accepts we need to diversify that. The FDA has a new law that they're required to follow, so that they will require sponsors to submit diversity action plans. So we pick this year people who are already working on that successfully in all these different aspects. They know what goes into a diversity action plan that will be acceptable to the FDA. They know what happens to structure inside a pharmaceutical company with budget and staff and actions to make that happen. We also pick people who do work in minority communities in inner cities, for example. We even have the city of Chicago featured, which was one of the hardest hit during the COVID epidemic in a most unfair and unequitable way. So she talks about working in minority communities. So we pick people to speak uh, this year, as we do every year, who are actually making the change happen so that others can look at that, listen to it and say, ah, that's what I should be doing. Great. So kind of to, to highlight some of what you just spoke on. So you brought in Dr. Charlotte Owens and Lachelle Robinson to speak on the advancement of DEI in clinical trials. And as you know, Steve, DEI is very uh, close to my heart. But I love how they came in with more of an update on diversity because you had um, them on previously, I understand. And it's like, okay, well, how did we go from where we were to where we are now in DEI? How does the patient forum help improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare and drug development from your perspective? Yeah, so it maps nicely to what Lachelle Robinson and Charlotte Owen, Dr. Owen, said in that interview. And it goes along with what you said when you spoke back in 2020 about diversity in clinical trials during the patient forum, that it's important for people to talk and listen to each other and to do it across stakeholder groups, that everyone should be involved. And so what they spoke about brings an awareness, first of all, that we need to do something. And that was a couple of years ago. That was also last year when they spoke. Now they're saying the awareness is there in the pharmaceutical drug development industry. Where we are now is the companies beginning to 
figure out how to get their diversity action plans developed and then implemented. So they're actually able to recruit and to include different populations in their clinical research in a way that will be acceptable to the FDA. That means scientifically sound, as well as a way that works in communities. And that what is important about the patient forum type listening is this is something where a lot of companies and hospitals are figuring it out now. They've accepted they're going to do it. And now they must do it because of law. And so some will do it for competitive reasons because they realize others are way ahead of me in diversifying. I better get there or the FDA will keep delaying my trial. But a lot of uh, organizations are doing it because they do believe in it now. So now where we're headed is standardization. A few years down the road, we will be able to say, now folks are not just trying to figure this out. A few years back, we were saying, hey, are people even aware of this? So we went from awareness to how to figure this out, let's get going, to a few years down the road, it will be standardized because it actually isn't something which is so difficult, we can't figure it out. It's more the willingness, and now it helps to have a law to be compliant with. All of that comes from spreading awareness. The more we can spread awareness about those things, the sooner everybody will arrive at those conclusions. And it isn't, again, something being developed in an ivory tower. We're spreading awareness from the voices of those who are actually doing those things. So Dr. Owens, Lachelle Robinson, and a number of others were already working on this some years ago. They've been watching it a long time. So when they speak, other people will benefit from listening. Yes, and I think it's so important to understand the realm of DE&I in all of the different parts of our society that it touches. Because we're working in drug development. We're trying to bring new drug therapies to market. So we have to make sure we're inclusive in that so everyone has an opportunity to access drugs that will help them. So I, I think that it's so great that you showed the update on that and how we're moving along as an industry is so important. You also brought on Ronald J. Bartek for a discussion, and I found his work to be extremely encouraging and fascinating. His work in rare disease helped support a historic first drug approval in rare disease. So Ron mentioned in his talk for patient advocacy groups to get started. He said it can be so intimidating, but just get started. And now we see him being mentioned in this is such a historic first drug approval. How can you echo what Ron said and how has patient advocacy changed drug development for the better? That's a really uh, good question, and thanks for asking that, because it's one of the main intents of the patient forum is to show the evidence that patient advocacy does work to make the change. So uh, Ron Bartek is the head of the Friedreich's Ataxia Research Alliance. Friedreich's Ataxia is a rare disease. It is neurological, and, and it is also eventually fatal for those who get it, and his son had it. So a little over 20 years ago, he and his wife and some other people got together and started doing research by speaking with the NIH and the FDA and with scientists. And that's the right thing to do. They reached out to other stakeholders and they started the advocacy group. They got the research going. They followed the advice of the stakeholders. And the most pivotal thing they did, if we just boil it down to one thing, is they created a natural history database of that disease. Over decades, the FDA officials who have willingly met with rare disease advocates have repeatedly said, you need to characterize your diseases better, everybody. We don't have the natural history 
of these different rare diseases. Natural history, meaning we don't know how the disease normally progresses. When you have no drug, we don't have it. We have that for more common diseases because so many people have those diseases and so many hundreds of millions of dollars constantly go into researching those diseases. So we know all about it, but we don't know the rare diseases. So when you finally get clinical trial results in a rare disease, you have nothing to compare it to. And scientists are, who do that research are saying to the FDA, please use our surrogate biomarkers. You can see the evidence our drug works so much more quickly if you use a surrogate biomarker instead of waiting for clinical manifestations, which could take a decade or longer. So basically, that dialogue right there needs to have some solutions because without it, we will never get drugs approved for rare diseases. All those children and all those parents being told there's no treatment, no cure, that will not change unless we figure out how to use surrogate biomarkers. That's some kind of biological measure that you can see very quickly after taking a medication. You see the diseases getting better if a biomarker goes up and down, but the FDA regulators are right to say, well, not so fast, that could mean something else. So they are right, and so are the researchers who are so eager. They are right. And so what has happened now is a much better listening to the patient communities and the patient communities listening in the way Ron Bartek and his team of, pa of parents did. They listened when they were told, you don't have natural history data. So they began collecting it by going to the doctor 20 years ago, taking all their kids to all those doctors, but with some kind of structure. So year after year, they're collecting data that is going to have some kind of FDA regulatory weight in their decision-making. That's not easy, but they did it by collaborating so that this year, and here's why they were in the patient forum, they had their historic first ever drug approval for that disease. Finally, people with that disease can be told, and there is an FDA-approved treatment. Now, it's not a cure, but it's something. It slows the progression of the disease. And it was that natural history data created over decades by those parents and those physicians that was used to compare to the actual clinical trial result. And because they've been working with the FDA, the FDA already was aware how good their database was. The FDA was aware how well-structured it was. The FDA had actually helped them because they've created a database and a structure that advocacy groups can use with scientists together. So I had that long story of his. My telling of it is a little long because it's historic. And a lot of people, that would go right by. But there are 10,000 or more classified rare diseases, and only a very small percentage have a treatment. So what they did, what Ron Bartek and his team showed, is how to make this happen. And now that they've showed it, it can happen more quickly. And when we hear drug developers say, and here's a mistake they often make, easy one to correct, they say, when you include the voice of patients, start in the beginning of the trial, start in phase one. And what they're showing us, what Ron Bartek showed us is, no, you start way before phase one. You start in what we call preclinical, when they haven't even started clinical trials yet. Go to your patient community, make sure there's natural history data or whatever other data or organization is missing and organize for that. That's awesome. You speak a lot to different patient advocacy groups. And I heard you mention just now that they really should be connecting with the FDA in preclinical. Do you know what type of guidance the FDA might provide those who are looking to get into patient advocacy and express how important it is to connect at in the preclinical stage? Yes, awesome question. Patient advocates, some in the early 2000s, I would say, 
became much more sophisticated than they used to be in their organization and collaboration with the FDA. And what they came up with together, and Congress helped. Congress has become more collaborative, too, as patient advocates continually go to Capitol Hill and speak with all members of Congress constantly. And we got something called patient-focused drug development. We got it in the law. Um, You'll see some major law in 2012 and 2016. The PDUFA laws, they're called, is a technical term. In 2016, we had 21st Century Cures, which was 400 pages of legislation. And those things defined and then more sharply defined patient-focused drug development, an FDA program that requires the FDA to listen to patients and requires them to set up the mechanisms. That's moved forward so that now patient groups can ask for FDA meetings to talk to them about their disease, to hear them out about what patients and their families think is important to them about the symptoms they'd like to see improved, not just wait until the clinical trials planners turn in endpoints and say, that's what's important. But by then, we want the FDA already to have heard from the patients. And then together, they talk with drug developers to form how the clinical trial will be formed. So patients have become better and better at using that law, using that invitation now that the FDA puts out. And the FDA has gotten better at restructuring it in new guidances over the years to make it more effective. So in the patient forum that we're talking about now that just happened, Ron Bartek was one who talked about that, but so did the two women who run the Rett Syndrome Foundation. They started decades ago working with their patient community to make them clinical trials savvy. So they're aware enough of why sign up for a clinical trial with all of its uncertainty and all of its risk and all of its basically uh, inconvenience, all those doctor visits, why? Because if they don't sign up, then the companies that sponsor the trials might be scared off. They might take their money and go somewhere else where people will sign up for a trial. So Rett Syndrome Foundation succeeded, and they got their first drug approval this year as well. And one of the things the CEO of the Rett Syndrome Foundation, Melissa Kennedy, said is that we have, for the first time ever, this drug approval. And it really helped that we took the patient community to the FDA prior to their consideration of the compound, meaning before they got all the data and and worked to make their final decision about approval, they had met with the Rett Syndrome Foundation in one of these official FDA-sponsored listening sessions. So this is something advocacy brought about by collaborating with the FDA, collaborating with members of Congress, and collaborating with each other, other advocacy groups. And now we've seen it evolve to this level of maturity where we're getting first ever drug approvals and the folks that are behind those in the advocacy group say it, those FDA sessions are really very valuable. Great, great. So the patient forum truly does amplify the voices of patients and elevates the voices. How do you feel this helps to modernize drug development and push it forward? So in several ways, first of all, those ways we talked about is one way. We see rare disease drug development. Those are the examples I just gave moving forward. In oncology with precision medicine, we have a number of demonstrations where advocates speaking on this patient forum talk about the work they're doing to empower other patients to not only get the best treatment that's available, to learn what it is and access that treatment, but also to collaborate with the scientists and the drug developers. And specifically, they talk about things like uh, one of the speakers says, 
I learned what my biomarker was. You know, patients uh, with cancer have different biological measures of that cancer, different biomarkers. And she learned that when you go to these advocacy groups, sometimes people actually are splitting out into breakout sessions around their biomarker because that's what the scientists and the physicians are also doing. And so these advocates empower other advocates to do something which makes a difference. And by focusing on that way in that scientific manner, they're helping science because it really does accelerate discovery when patients step forward and say, I'm here. Another way is diagnosis. The diagnostic odyssey is a long, costly, burdensome thing for people with rare and common diseases. If people know they have something wrong with them, but they don't know what. And so there are lots of advocates out there trying to encourage others to get diagnosed and try to figure out maybe there's a match for what you do have and what can be done. But unless we know what you have, we can't do something. So more newborn screening. And there's excellent now genetic screening at newborn time, way beyond the heel prick test. But there's a lot of advocacy that needs to be done. As in our patient forum event, we had 14-year-old Nell Choi talk about that, that she goes to members of Congress and she says, you know, I'm 14. My disease, my autoimmune disease hit me when I was nine. She said, we need people to have access to diagnosis and access to treatments. And here's why they don't. And here's some pending legislation you could support members of Congress that do. So that's a way advocates are modernizing because if they start to support those things, they're going to bring a lot more diagnosis using modern genetic medicine to a lot more hospitals where parents can access those things. I have to echo what you said about um, Nell Choi. Her story was inspiring in how she uses her platform. Throughout the patient forum, you highlighted the rare artists. And I, I noticed that Nell Choi was, was highlighted there as well and a lot of other individuals from different backgrounds. So I think knowing that the patient forum highlights not just information that patient advocates can glean from, on how to better their program, it also highlights the actual stories that people from different generations, different backgrounds are going through. It makes everything more human, so to speak. And I thought that was super inspiring. To kind of close us out, how can big pharma or biotechs better engage patients during the drug development process? and better build out patient advocacy programs? That's a good question. And a lot of biotechs and pharmaceutical companies are doing a very good job at this now. And when they're doing a good job, what they're doing, those that are doing the good job are engaging patients and keeping them engaged throughout the whole drug development process. Uh, ideally, as we talked about before phase one, but definitely in all the phases and beyond and have some continuity and, and have some budgeting and staffing and planning so that the protocol of the clinical trial is influenced by what they're learning from the patients. That is a major thing that still sometimes gets left out, that they have, they say patient advocacy, they're down the hall in that office. And over in this office are the powerful people that are the scientists developing the protocol. That's wrong. It's a failing process, which has not generated what we need. Even though the scientists are very brilliant, the patient advocacy people are brilliant, but they, there needs to be a very senior level person in those pharmaceutical companies that says, this must be so. There will be collaboration. The patient voice will be part of this. And we will design our trials based on what patients say. And now that the FDA has rolled out that red carpet to say, interact with us, 
They didn't used to say interact with us. The FDA didn't do that till advocates made that happen in the last two decades. Now pharma has the interaction and they can definitely do that engagement of patients in a way that makes a difference. 100% agree. Well, I think we'll wrap it up here. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. And let people know how they can access the patient forum. Yes, the patient forum, as we talked about, although it's this annual event that's several hours long, all of the episodes are on the patient forum website all of the time, all year long. So the public can go there and watch them episode by episode on demand like Netflix. You can watch just the ones you're interested in or you can watch the whole event sequentially. It's wcgclinical.com forward slash patient dash forum. Thank you so much to Steve Smith for joining us today for this episode of WCG Talks Trials. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the WCG Patient Forum for more information on the topics we discussed today. We hope you found this episode insightful and that you'll join us for future episodes of WCG Talks Trials. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of WCG Talks Trials. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred listening platform as we continue to explore different areas of the clinical research industry. As always, we encourage you to join in the conversation. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show by visiting us at wcgclinical.com slash podcast. We're here to serve as a trusted resource as we work to improve lives and accelerate clinical research together.